Uh, thanks to our, our series, Together. We're excited about getting into that today. And didn't Sherry give an awesome message like that? Yeah, that was incredible. And I, 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 from my location, I did watch every minute of it. And uh, I really loved, uh, the one thing she said, or she said many things that were very profound. And, and I, I loved the, the point that, you know, as she acknowledged, uh, church Church life is interesting, and, and, and people do change churches, and we can't uh, always figure that out, and I can't tell anybody exactly when you should change and go to a different church, um, uh, but she said this, you should never leave a church because you're offended, and I thought, that is really good. That is really, really good, and uh, see, as Sherry and I have spent our lifetime doing this, uh, over 40, uh, you know, about 40 years now, one thing I can tell you for sure is that um, the people who get in the church and stay in that church, especially with families, the ones who stay put and ride out the storms, the ups and downs, the dry periods, the periods when it's great, all of that, work it through the conflicts with one another, have, in my scientific research, what is science anyway? Those people follow the science. Follow the, well, what is science? It's just observing something and then, then reaching conclusions when you see the results over and over again. And sometimes you need a telescope to do that. Sometimes you need a microscope. And sometimes you need a res, uh, uh, an MRI machine, magnetic resonance imaging machine. Sometimes you just need your eyes. <laughs> and my eyes tell me the people who get in a church stay in a church for a lifetime, have better results than people who are always changing because this happens and they go to a different church. I've never seen good results with people's lives, personally, individually, or especially with families who just change every two or three years because they, there's a better show somewhere else or they get their feelings hurt about something. So anyway, I think that's really important. The, the, thir the third thing I want to mention before I get into the Word today is this is very important. Sherry talked about some very high-level integration when she talked about mom and dad here and how they integrate their lives with others. And uh, I think she did a show of hands of who's been invited to their home for, for lunch or dinner. And it's just like overwhelming numbers of people. And she talked about as a child growing up and spending every Saturday scrubbing the baseboards because they're going to have guests from the church in their home every, every Sunday. And I, I can understand why that would be intimidating to some of you. If you've never, ever even invited anyone for coffee at Dunkin' or Starbucks, for you to say, uh, go from, that's like going from zero to 60. We're going to start inviting people to our home every Sunday for dinner. You can just be over. I, here's what I like to do. I get this um, visual every time I preach a sermon like this and a series like this, and that is I always see those old-fashioned Honeywell thermostats. You know, the gold ones? And that uh, you, you tweak. If you're, if, you're a little, if you're a little cold, you turn it this way. A little you know, too hot, you turn it this way. And uh, that's the way I like for people to view a series like this, a sermon like this. Just turn the temperature up a little bit in your life in this area. Just, you know, for some of you, it would be just getting to know another person's name and getting their phone number in this room and start to send them an encouraging text once in a while. That would be a step forward in getting integrated and doing life together. For some of you, it, you could meet at uh, Panera for lunch. You don't have to clean your whole house 
Now, now definitely some of, some of you, um, and I do believe we need to get in each other's homes. I think that needs to happen. But take the baby steps. Take, don't be afraid to take the baby steps. You can't do everything, but you can always do something when you hear a sermon. You can always do something to put that into practice. So that's what I want to encourage you to do. I'm very excited about the word today. I feel like, uh, I feel like it's going to be helpful. Now, I may, I may stop and just read some of my script today because some things, the way I felt like the Lord gave it to me in prayer and study was exactly how I want to say it. And so I want to say it exactly that way. And my memory is just not that good. Um, so Sherry preached on being better together. I want to talk about being stronger together. We, we, know the, we know the cliche, there's strength in numbers. Well, this is a little more than that because the, the, the goal is not necessarily something out there like a battle we want to go in, but it's something that God wants to do in your life. And that's what I'm going to read about in the text we're going to read about now, about something that God wants to reveal to you and me and the other members of the people in this room are integral and, and, and uh, uh, imper- it's imperative that you have relationships with other people in order for God to do what he wants to do in your life. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, circle the word power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Now, it's all personal so far, right? And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have, circle the word power, you may have power together. Circle that word twice. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Why? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasseth knowledge, that you may be filled in the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now I want to jump over to Acts chapter 27 and read another verse that's just to give you an illustration of what we're saying when we say sticking together, being together, and it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, being on a ship is a metaphor for being in, a, a, being in a church. It's called a fellowship, and so we're on a fellowship, and we're going somewhere, and, and so here's a, here's a situation where the great apostle Paul, who wrote that verse, this is a situation where Apostle Paul has, has he's a prisoner, but he's on a ship uh, whose ultimate destination is Rome. And so Paul has already warned them. He's received a word from God that this voyage is going to be uh, difficult and they should not sail. But they sailed anyway. And so they did sail anyway. And that's the way it is to be a part of a group. Sometimes, sometimes a group sails and you feel they shouldn't have sailed. <laughs> But they sail, and you're part of the group. So here we go, right? It may, be a, it may be a position that we take. It may be a building program that we get involved in. It may be a ministry that we start. It could be a lot of things that, 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 we, that we launch, right? So here's what it says. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. They're in the storm, and they're headed to the rocks. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. 
In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboats down into the sea, pretending they were going to be going to be uh, lower, pretending they were going to lower from some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, "Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved." So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift. In other words, we need everybody to stay on board, even though it's rocky and we're in a storm. Everybody needs to stay on board, and we all stay on board. It's to our, all of our interest. It's to the common good of everyone, including the sailors, who thought they were going to get away and let everybody die. Uh, okay, so we're talking about stronger together, how we need one another, right? Part of the problem of this is that we have the myth, we have the hero myth and the rugged individual myth, which are the same thing. Here's an example, okay? Professional football team. They start. The season, the whole season and prep, prep and all lasts about six months. And to, 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 to play the game that you will watch every week during the fall and winter, uh, it requires a whole army of coaches, trainers, medical staff, people that work in nutrition and cook food, uh, agents, office, office personnel, people who plan travel and do all the travel for the team, people who do uh, their security teams that keep people out that they don't want out. And then you've got all these players and every player has a bunch of people that take care of him, him in the case of football, that uh, he, has a, he, has, he may have a personal trainer a psychologist, an agent, financial advisors. In fact, uh, in our first service, uh, uh, Jeremy Smith, who comes to the church, used to work for the Patriots, and he was like the liaison with Dunkin' Donuts, and now he works for Dunkin' Donuts. But I asked him, how many people work at Gillette Stadium? And he said, 500. 500 people work at Gillette Stadium. But yet, when a team wins the Super Bowl, what do we say? We say, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. No, it was about a thousand people who won the Super Bowl. When you take the 500 who work in the stadium and the other 500 people that the individual players organizations represent, it's about a thousand, it took about a thousand people working 20, working 12 months of the year, not six months, working 12 months of the year, planning, working, strategizing, investing to cause Tom Brady to win the Super Bowl. And so we bring that paradigm into the church, and so we don't, we don't, we don't understand. We, we have the hero myth. In fact, psychologists tell us that one thing that's different about American culture and Western culture is every American sees themselves as the hero of, a, of every story. We read the story and we're the hero. That, 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 see, it's different. Like a, a, a oriental culture, tribal culture, like China. China, if you talk to people from China, and I have extensively, we had them here, they do not see themselves as the hero of the story. They are a part of a whole. And, and that, that, I'm not trying to go there because that has some pathologies as well. So we're not trying to go there or go to that extreme. But we do need to get rid of the rugged individual myth. 
and understand. Today I want you to understand the purpose of God in being a church, which is to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be full, filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God and the process which is that you may have power together. So this knowing the love of God in its fullness, you having the full measure of God, it's required that you be together with other believers who are a part of that journey. So let me give you today. See, we have to move from the filling station metaphor to, I guess, what I would call the fellowship metaphor. I go to the gas station over here, and there's a couple of different young men who will serve me when I'm there. They, somehow they know who I am. I don't know. They'll say, Pastor Phil, how you doing? How was church this week? They fill my car with gas. That's the extent of our relationship. I, 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 they, they have uh, ethnic names that I'm having trouble remembering, so I haven't remembered their names yet. I'm trying. I don't know anything about their home life. They don't know anything about mine. All they serve to me is to fill my car with gas. Now, that's how some people treat church. It's a place to go for an hour, hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning to get your spiritual tank filled with gas. And that's, that's, that's okay, by the way. That, that it, is, it, does, it should do that. It does, it does serve that purpose. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying stop doing that. But I want you to know God has something more. And here's why. We are stronger together because we all have a particular gift through which others experience Jesus. We all have a particular gift through which others experience Jesus. You know, let's, let's look at it this way. Encouragement and inspiration just flows out of some of you and in this room. Now, I'm not talking about flattery or flowery, meaningless cliches and compliments. I'm talking about true inspiration and encouragement just flows out of some of you. And we all should be encouraging. We all should try to make sure we're encouraging. But some of us, it doesn't flow out of us. I don't know how many of you know a lady that doesn't come to this church. She goes to Valley Chapel, but she takes care of our kids here during the week. Her name is Nancy Borden. Nancy Borden is a saint. Everybody agree with that? Nancy Borden is a saint. Was a missionary to Haiti and just is the sweetest person you could ever hope to meet. And I remember uh, several years ago, the song Happy was a big hit. And my son and other young men in this church, and probably a couple of young ladies were involved in the conversation, probably Brandy, convinced me that I had to do the happy dance. <laughs> and so uh, I reluctantly went along, and I feel so sorry for Jay because I struggled so much to get this, because you had to move, and I had to get the words. I had to lip sync the words. And that, and that song has a very, you know, John, it, it has a, I think it has a tough rhythm. It's not like a two-verse country song that I can sing. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And uh, poor Jay, he just had to, we had to film over and over again. And he, and he made me look as good as you could possibly make me look. I'm telling you, when we got that done. But Nancy stops me in the gym one day. I'm water coasting him. And, and I, you know, Nancy's, Nancy's uh, I don't think she'd mind me saying, she's faced some real challenges in her life. And, uh, and she's someone that I certainly want to encourage. And she says to me in the gym, she said, Oh, Pastor Phil, that dance you did was so wonderful. She said, I was so encouraged. She said, I've watched it three or four times, and it so encourages me. Now, I wasn't stupid enough to be too encouraged, <laughs> to think I needed to do more. <laughs> but I'm telling you, Nancy's got that gift of making you feel, or when you, look, when you drop your grandchild off to her, and I'm sure your child, that that child is the most special person in the world to her. Now, everybody should try to be that way, but we're all not. Do you agree? We're just all not. Uh, uh, some of the rest of you, really good, helpful, spot-on advice and even correction and problem identification just flows out of you. And then some people get offended by that, but, but if they will listen to you, their life will be better. It's your anointing. It's your anointing to look and say, this is what you're doing wrong. This is where you're missing it. And I'm not, I'm not talking about um, mean-spirited criticism, insensitive, know-it-all, arrogant overtalk. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about that person who's just insightful, like a prophetic thing. They know what's going on in your life. And, and then, then there's other people that just acts of helpful service and practical assistance just flows out of some of you. Uh, you know, I was thinking of you when I was preparing this week, Scotty. And I, that scene came back to me in Mississippi when we're down there helping with Hurricane Katrina, and, and I'm in the house, and you're out there in the dark doing a, a break job for somebody. You know, that is a special... And, and not only to do it, not only did you do it, but you did it with joy. And you did it like it was a great privilege to get to do that. Now, people who don't have the anointing may do it, but I don't think it has the same... Uh, effervescent and joy in them. And of course, I love this story. I tell the story all the time. I mean, John Oliver is another guy who just acts of service flow out of him. And I love to tell the story. I've told it probably a dozen times, but seeing John come out of a classroom up here with a big smile on his face. And I said, what's going on, John? And he said, I just got paint out of carpet. <laughs> now, everybody doesn't have that anointing. <laughs> what am I saying? You know, what, what about some of us just have that ability to look at Scripture and bring enlightening and some energizing biblical insight when we look at Scripture and it just kind of flows out of us. You know, the, the other day when I, 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 Mike Seaver had to have a surgical procedure and I called him up and, and told him, I kind of insisted, I want to take you to the hospital. I want to give you a ride. And uh, I don't, Mike's not here, I don't think. Are you, Mike? Uh, I, his, my, he's, he's, uh, so anyway, I get in my car, it's early, it's five in the morning or so, and I get in my car in the garage and I realize, oh shoot, I didn't think about what scripture I was going to read to him. I didn't think about what I was going to say. Uh, I want to uh, I, I read something that's meaningful to him. And so there in my car, I begin to look and do a little research, do a little search on the internet and, and so on. And I came up with 2 Timothy 1.7. I came up with Isaiah 
Psalms 23, 3 and 4. And here's the one that stood out, though. Deuteronomy 31, 8. I began to read it there in the car. The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And the word, the word discouraged just got that big to me. And I knew God was telling me that Mike felt discouraged. And, and later, that's what he remarked about. That's the scripture that he remarked about. Was that, was, was, it was almost like a prophetic insight the Lord gave me that he was discouraged. And I've seen that. I was raised like that. My mother, I've told you the story before, when I was being really a jerk as a teenager, and my mother knocks on my door, knock, 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 open the door, hi, Mom, what's up? She's, her Bible is open. Her Bible is open. Isaiah, how many of you have gone to your child's room with a Bible when they're being bad, huh? Uh, but I was raised like that. And that's why I'm like that. Because I was raised like that. It was nurtured in me. Mom's got the scripture. Isaiah 57, thou art rebellious. <laughs> but, the Lord speaking, I will heal his ways. Man, could you get any more perfect than that, Joanne? Slap. Pat on the back. I will heal his ways. Perfect, perfect. I remember my dad. I was a young preacher. I was like 19 years old. I'd been invited to speak at this church near Fort Worth, Texas. And I go down at a place called Kennedale, Texas. And I go down and get ready to preach. And we're, me and a bunch of guys are in a side room. And we're supposed to be praying. But we're not praying. We're talking. And my dad pops in. He's come down to hear me preach. So he pops in. And the guys are feeling all apologetic. Because my dad, they viewed my dad as a spiritual giant, I guess, or something. Oh, Brother McCutcheon, we're so sorry. We, we're supposed to be praying and we're talking. And my dad goes, you know, the book of Malachi says... Those who feared the Lord spoke often one to another. What a perfect... You know, you need people like that. You, you know, who go around, you know, don't, you know like the pastor the, who was up preaching, the bug flew in his mouth, and, and he goes... Uh, uh, he, he had to have a verse for everything. He was like my dad and my mom. They had to have a verse for everything. So he, he goes, he was a stranger, and I took him in. You know? <laughs> no. Um... Just like me, God has been preparing you to be something to somebody else. God has been preparing you with the specific characteristics of Christ's love that you're destined to bring to the table to make the rest of us understand the depth of the love of God and, the, and to be strong and to accomplish the fullness of God in all of our lives. It's so important. Important. It matters so much. It's like this. Think of it this way. I think of it this way. I think of Jesus Christ being a, like a bomb who went off. He came to earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, it was like he exploded. And he went everywhere. And his attributes and the characteristics of his personality like came back down like rain on the earth. And a few drops landed on me. And made me who I am. Gave me that characteristic of Jesus that I have. That you don't have probably. Gave you the characteristic of Jesus, Scotty. That I don't have. Joanne gave you the characteristic of Jesus. Pastor Steve. Mark. Elise. John. Becca. Grant. Olivia. Gave you the peace of Jesus. That I will never have the way you have it. I really need you in order to know Jesus. 
in his fullness. There is no way to know Jesus in his fullness in a closet by yourself. Only way you know Jesus in his fullness is this way. Um, I got to move quickly here, but I, I can't skip over the biblical basis for this in Romans 12, where he says that we're to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing perfect will. But if you stop there, if you stop reading there, you're going to miss the point. You're going to miss the process, not the point. You, you get the point, but you miss the process. Verses 3 through 8, For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather to think of yourself with sober judgment. So don't think you have it all. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of us, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, so we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesying in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to give, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. For if it, or if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The point is, none of us have it all together. But together we have it all. That's the point. So let's move on to a second reason that we're stronger together. We're stronger together because together we can create a safe space to make mistakes, expose weaknesses, and test our ideas. This is a really important point to me. I want me to read to you a statement from our BCC membership covenant, which we're starting up classes for membership in April. To the brothers and sisters of this family, in fact, uh, why don't we read it together? I'd just like to hear your voice, and you maybe would like to not hear mine for a couple minutes. To the brothers and sisters of this family, I offer the following covenant statement. In order that Bethany Community Church might remain a place of salvation, for those who are unconverted, healing for hurting people, and growth for all the followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that I'm committed to you. You'll never knowingly suffer at my hands. I'll never say or do anything knowingly to hurt you. I'll always in every circumstance seek to help you and support you. If you're down and I can lift you up, I'll do that. If I have anything you need, I will share it with you. No matter what I find out about you and no matter what happens in the future, either good or bad, my commitment to you will never change and there's nothing you can do about it. It's important to examine what this excerpt from the covenant says and what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you, we will never hurt each other. It doesn't say that. It says hurting one another will never be our intent. What it does say unequivocally is A, I'm committed to you. And B, no matter what I find out about you, good or bad, my commitment to you will never change. These are powerful words because they provide a powerful hothouse for spiritual growth. See, when we do church God's way, it's a safe place because there's a strong commitment to one another. John 13, 40, 34, and 35 says, a new commandment, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let's, let's stop and think about that for a minute. Jesus is saying, I don't want anything to be said about me that can't used to be said about you. Jesus is saying, well, first of all, what's his audience that day? It's not the multitudes. It's his closest associates. It's 
the, it's the members of his little church. He had, a little, he had a little church. Jesus had a very little church, very small church. He had a lot of crowds, but he had a little church. 120 at the most. So he was talking to these disciples. Now, I understand today some of us are very clear, most of us today, and thankfully we are, I'm glad. We're very clear about wanting to present an unconditionally loving Jesus to people who are far from God. We're, we're very committed right now to make sure that people who are in all kinds of social, political, and moral situations deserve God's love. And that's great. That's all well and good. We, we're better, we've got better at that in the last few years than we used to be. But Jesus is very clear that he's not talking about people who are far from God. He's not talking about the, mar the, the, the spiritually marginalized. He's not talking about that in this sentence. He's talking about people who are doing life together. People who know each other's flaws. People who get on each other's nerves. People who are having... Think, read about the disciples. People who are having power struggles among one another and wish they were as important to Jesus as the other guy and jealous and upset because... They're not, they're, not, they're not with the top three that are always hanging out with Jesus. And they're not happy about that. And they're arguing among each other about that. And people that are always getting in each other's way and getting it wrong. And, and one, guy, one guy is stealing out of the offering. You hear that? One guy is stealing money out of the offering plate every Sunday. <laughs> that blows my mind. I just kind of want to pause and have a, you know, the, the scripture, if you read the book of Psalms, it has the word Selah. Selah means pause. I just have a Selah moment when I think of the fact that one of Jesus' disciples was stealing money out of the offering plate. That, evidently, it didn't mean that much to you. That's <laughs> all right. Jesus was saying, well, here's my point. Jesus was saying to these normal people who get on each other's nerves, who know enough about each other to be critical, who know about each other's faults, who know about some of the sins that each other's committed, He's saying, I want you to be fiercely committed to one another. I want you to fiercely love one another. I want you to love one another the way I love you, which is unconditionally. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. The person who wrote me this note this week is in the room, and I, do not, I did not ask their permission to point them out, so I won't. But it really touched me this last week when I got a, a note with a ministry proposal that one of our saints shared with me. It was a front and back, a, a two-page letter, or one-page letter front and back, with, a, with an idea for a ministry. And as a pastor, you occasionally get ideas for ministry, and some of them are quite interesting. Some of the ideas I've gotten from people for ministries they feel called to do. And the most are, are amazing and, and almost always, I think, always well-intentioned. Somebody really wants to serve God. So this was one of those kind of proposals. But here's what they said. They had a note attached to the letter. It said, these are my thoughts I wrote down to give you an idea of what I want to get across to the congregation. If you think it is unwise or inappropriate, I totally understand. Don't Worry about offending me. I nearly fell out of the chair. Don't worry about offending me. 
uh, if this is not possible. Do you have any idea how that sentence sets a leader free to hear from God? And somebody says, you don't have to worry about my feelings right now. This is bigger than me. You don't, have to, you don't have to coddle me or baby me. You can even call me up and tell me you don't think this will work and you're not ready to do it. Do you understand how that's it? You know what I want to do? I want to tell that person you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Why? Why do I feel that way? Because I trust them. I don't trust people who are always getting offended. Because it's not, if you're always getting offended, it's not, about, it's not about getting the needs met, it's about you. And if all your ideas, if you cannot separate yourself from your ideas, you're not healthy. Healthy people can separate their ideas from themselves. I can blurt out an idea that you will all say, that's dumb. And I don't go, they're saying I'm dumb. No, they're saying I had a dumb idea. And that's how you stay healthy in a church, in a congregation, right? Now, here's a really important point. It's something that I never thought of until I was studying this passage, these passages. Uh, when we understand that God's way to do church is when we realize our gatherings are for healing, learning, growing, and not the Christian's main events. I don't know if that, what that's, how that's going to resonate with you, but for me, it was like, oh, yes. Church is not the big game. Going to small group, meeting with other believers for the various ways we meet around here are not the big game. They're the practices. And when meeting together or coming to the church becomes the main event, it messes everything up. It messes everything up because it becomes, then it's your performance. When we're engaged in church attendance and we view it as practice instead of game day. See, well, well when is, let me, let me clarify before I move into that. Game day is what happens at work tomorrow. Game day is what's going on with you and your neighbors where you live. Game day is what's happening in the kitchen living room and bedroom in your house. What's happening within your marriage and with your family? That's game day. Game day is what's happening in your private devotions and your private worship of God and your daily quiet time. And that's going great. You're winning the game. If you're sharing Christ with your neighbors, you're winning the game. If you're loving your husband, your wife, and your children, and you're raising them properly, you're winning the game. If you're going to work and being an example of godliness, you are winning the game. Church is supposed to be the place to practice. Church is supposed to be the place to make mistakes. Church is supposed to be the place. See, when you engage in church attendance and other group participations, and you're overly focused on what role you were given, or whether you made a great impression, whether you sounded good or didn't sound good, or, or whether you were a good performer, you missed the point when we carefully guard our unflattering private information because it might result in other people at the church thinking less of us. We completely miss the potential that church represents. When you realize church gatherings are the practice, not the game, you are free. You're free to go to small group and share with the group that you just caught your 14-year-old in the bedroom with her boyfriend. 
and you don't know what to do. And you want the group to pray that God will give you wisdom. Because you want to love and not alienate your daughter, but you realize she's on the wrong path. And you're not, see, you didn't go to small group to impress them with how perfect your family was. You went to small group so you could, you could get resources to make your family what God wants it to be. You went there. You went there because you think you need help. And you're not going there to show them how incredible you are. You're not going, okay, we know that happened Friday night family. I can, I can almost imagine some people gathering the family around Sunday morning. We know the bad stuff that you kids have been doing this week. We're going to church today. Make sure none of that gets out to the church people. This is our family. This goes going on in our family. It must not get out at the church. The church is where it needs to get out. The church is the body of Christ. We're the power of Christ. We can intercede. We can weep for you. We can love you. We can help. We might even give you some good advice. Who knows? Could happen. <laughs> Let me give you a few more bullets on this. When you realize that church gatherings are practice, not the game, you're free to share with your group that you've made some bad financial decisions and you're filing bankruptcy. I've known people, I've known people throughout the years, a while back, who've gone through bankruptcy and no one in the church ever knew. I'm the pastor, the only one who ever knew. You're not going to worry whether you get to sing on the worship team or get some, uh, or the pastor or other leaders ask you to do some area of leadership and serving that's maybe less visible. You're not going to worry about that if you see church as the practice and not the game day. You know, you're not going to treat your influence about business decisions of the church or your lack of in, uh, thereof as anything of any significance as, as long as good decisions are being made. You're not going to get your ego involved in that because church is just practice anyway. It's not the big game. It's important. Hey, practice is really important. Great teams do more practicing than they do on the game. They put a lot of effort into the practice, so it's really important. But if we're going to live together in a way that's so non-transparent, and we're hiding all our personal information, and, 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 and we're going to be hypersensitive to being offended by one another, we are going to blow it. And the church is not going to make us great in God. We're not going to discover the depth of the love of God, and we're not going to discover the fullness of God. This is what church is for. When a church group will not, will not engage in productive correction with one another, transparent communication, loving affirmation, and constantly knocking down the walls to keep us separate from one another, and especially when we harbor offense against one another, we are proving we don't get the reason we gather. It's not to show how good we are, but to get better. Finally, I want to say this. We are stronger together because God planned it that way. And there's no plan B. There's no plan B. Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He doesn't say, his intent was through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the powers that are in heaven, which I believe constitutes demonic powers as well as angelic powers. Uh, he would say, uh, that's one plan, but also, if you'll just go be a good Christian all by yourself, that, that works too. No. He said there's one plan for God revealing his power 
to the world. His wisdom to the world. And that is this house right here. This is, this is what God has used and used our relationships together. Now, if you hang around the church very long, you're going to hear a term called spiritual warfare. You're going to hear about spiritual warfare. And you're going to hear, someone's going to tell you about warfare prayer, right? Which I'm not critical of at all, by the way. But it, warfare, spiritual warfare, according to the way I hear it talked about mostly, is kind of like this. You've got to shut your eyes real tight. And you got to get alone somewhere. Or you don't have to be alone, but probably will want to be. And you have to raise your volume up a great deal. And you have to address the powers of darkness and order them out. Right? Uh, I, re- I remember uh, an opposite situation from a place I preached where we went to the prayer room and we really did pray. We didn't just talk to one another. And I will never forget this preaching for a guy named Bob Bloom in Pomona, California, when I was still a young, young kid. And I go there and, I, and, and Pastor Bob says, we're going to pray. So we go into the side room to pray and all these people from the church gather in the room. And there was a woman in there, I'll never forget her as long as I live. She was a feisty little woman. She's on her knees over there praying. And she's saying at the top of her lungs. Devil, take your toys and go home. <laughs> uh, it, just, it just always stood out to me that she, she was ordering the devil to take his toys. She'd go home. <laughs> well, some of you need to do that today, by the way. You need to go home and probably have that very conversation with the devil to tell him to take his toys and go home. That would be really good for you psychologically uh, as well as, I believe, that we need to resist the devil. So don't get me wrong. I believe there are spiritual battles of this sort to be engaged in, and serious physical prayer is a tool that we use, right? However, we miss... Here's what I say. Here's what I say. You, God wants us to go from being a fan to being a family. You can be a fan of the church. You can be a fan of me. You can be a fan of the worship team. You can be a fan of this and that. And and that's not wrong, by the way. It's not wrong to admire people. It's not wrong to to tell people, you know, you you really bless me. And that's that's really important to do, by the way. But it's not the same. It's not the level that we're talking about. So, uh, yes, back to that spiritual warfare prayer. Important, I, I advise you to learn to pray aggressively. Yes. But you miss the important most important dimension of spiritual warfare, the one endorsed by Jesus and the one that is cripples the power of Satan and the dark forces and it breaks their power over our lives and that Paul is talking about in the text that we read today. That is real spiritual warfare when we build together a caring, sharing, forgiving, missional fellowship of believers who are bound together with the love of Christ and are not easily separated by his ploys, and we're bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit, Satan does not fear you alone, even if you are screaming to him to take his toys and go home. But he is terrified if you're united in love with other believers, because he knows. He knows you're stronger together. Now, remember when I started the message this morning, I talked about the thermostat. And I talked about 
tweaking it up a little bit. That's what I want you to do. I want you to move toward people, the people of God. However, there is this matter of coming to relationship with Jesus Christ. Forget the thermostat. It's, it's just an on and off switch. And some of you need to turn the on switch to become a follower of Jesus today. Remember, Acts chapter 2 says, the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Now, now what, what was happening here? Saved was a separate act from being added to the church. So being saved is not a matter of tweaking. I'm going to work a little harder for Jesus. I'm going to do a little more. I'm going to become a little better person. No, no, just flip the switch. Jesus, take me. Receive me as my person. Is your person. I receive you as my personal Savior. I want to become a follower of Christ. And some of you, it might even surprise some people in the room to know who's not a follower yet. And I want to lead you in a prayer to become a follower of Christ. And then take your thermostat out and say, how can I move closer? For some of you, it's joining a community group. For some of you, it's just getting to know one person. Some of you, it's inviting someone for coffee. Some of you, it's getting someone else's information. Some of you, it's signing up for uh, children's ministry. Go get involved in children's ministry. Just remember, the point is not your performance. The point is you want to put yourself in a position to be healed, to be taught, to grow, and reach your human potential in God. And the rubbing together with say, you know, sometimes it's not it's not as significant whether you serve in children's church or whether you serve everybody on the stage singing. That's really not even the significance. The significance is that you're getting you're mixing it up with God's people. You're mixing it up with other people. And what will happen outside of the actual ministry is actually more important to God sometimes. And I'm not saying ministry is not important in the church. Not saying that at all. Not saying that at all. Greeting ministry. And I know I don't want anybody to take that out of what I said today, that those things don't matter. That, that in, in some senses it is game day. I get it. I get it. But I just, I'm, I'm concerned that there's the overemphasis on, on game day versus practice. And that there's no room for mistakes and there's no room for problems and there's no room for difficulty. In practices, you work out all the difficulties. So that's what I mean. So I want to pray a, a prayer today for you to receive Christ. So everybody, let's bow our heads. You can pray out loud or you don't have to, but I want, to pray that, I want you to pray this prayer. Father, I realize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I realize that I am separate from God and my only hope is the life of Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so I could have eternal life and I receive that eternal life right now in Jesus' name. 